optimal minimal. At this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Can I ask you a personal question? Now we're the same time. What if I did the opposite? I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over a metal endoskeleton. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I get asked all the time what I would take if I could only take one supplement. The answer is invariably Athletic Greens. I view it as all-in-one nutritional insurance. I recommended it, in fact, in the four-hour body. This is more than 10 years ago, and I did not get paid to do so. With approximately 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, you'd be very hard-pressed to find a more nutrient-dense and comprehensive formula on the market. It has multivitamins, multimineral greens complex, probiotics and prebiotics for gut health, an immunity formula, digestive enzymes, adaptogens, and much more. I usually take it once or twice a day just to make sure I've covered my bases if I miss anything I'm not aware of. Of course, I focus on nutrient-dense meals to begin with. That's the basis. But Athletic Greens makes it easy to get a lot of nutrition when whole foods aren't readily available. From travel packets, I always have them in my bag when I'm zipping around. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving my audience a special offer on top of their all-in-one formula, which is a free vitamin D supplement and five free travel packs with your first subscription purchase. Many of us are deficient in vitamin D. I found that true for myself, which is usually produced in our bodies from sun exposure. So adding a vitamin D supplement to your daily routine is a great option for additional immune support. Support your immunity, gut health, and energy by visiting athleticgreens.com TFS. You'll receive up to a year's supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your subscription. Again, that's athleticgreens.com TFS, as in Tim Ferriss show. athleticgreens.com TFS. TFS. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, ladies and germs. This is Tim Ferriss, and welcome to another episode of The Tim Ferriss Show, where it is always my job to deconstruct world-class performers, to tease out the habits, routines, favorite books, toothpaste, whatever it might be, that you can apply and try in your own lives. This particular episode comes from a fun event, my first live podcast, which was at the iconic Troubadour in LA. I had a blast. I was nervous, but you guys sold it out in 30 minutes through the email newsletter. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And if you haven't signed up for the email newsletter, you should check that out. It's free. Just go to fourhourworkweek.com forward slash Friday, all spelled out, and you can have a taste. There were quite a few amazing guests at the event, and we're going to divide them up into a few different episodes. The first is a professional snowboarder and skateboarder. You know who this is. Two-time Olympic gold medalist, Sean White, spelled like Sean of the Dead, S-H-A-U-N, at Sean White on Twitter and so on. He holds the X Games 
record for gold medals at 15, as well as the highest overall medal count at 24. I believe he is also the only person to win gold at both the winter and summer X Games. Sean has earned the number two spot on Business Week's list of the 100 most powerful and marketable athletes, and he has created an incredible business and life for himself. He has made a lot of smart decisions where many athletes, particularly those who peak at a young age or become famous at a young age, make mistakes. And... Achtung, for those near LA or willing to travel, Sean is hosting an incredible event called Air and Style this weekend. Think of it as X Games meets Coachella, where you can listen to world-famous bands and musicians like Incubus, Grammatic, one of my favorites, then see jumps off of a 16-story ramp. That's not a joke. 16-story, among other excitement. So check it out at airandstyle.com, all spelled out. For 20% off, whether that's general or VIP admission, you can use code Tim Ferriss, spelled properly with two R's and two S's. I don't get any cut, and I've bought it myself at full retail. Four tickets for myself and friends. The code is only good until midnight Pacific on February 19th. That is Friday, February 19th. So jump on it. Once again, that's airandstyle.com. And without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Sean White. I thought we could start at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are not familiar with the, the conditions with which you came into this world. The very beginning, the birth. The very beginning. Of Sean White. Let me take you back. Uh, <laughs> no, it's actually a little bit of a sad story, uh, you know, or just a, a bit of a struggle in the beginning. You know, I was born uh, with a heart defect. Uh, it was called Tetralogy of Fallot. So I don't know too technically what happened, but um, uh, some of the valves in my heart were leaking and I had to go in and have multiple open heart surgeries in order to correct this. Um, I was known as what's called a, a blue baby. Actually, my skin would, was turning blue because I wasn't getting enough uh, oxygen. And so, you know, my mom sent me in there, multiple operations. They said, you're going to have a sluggish heart. He won't be very active. You know, you should be ready for these things. And then, you know, sure enough, <laughs> I was like, I want to do that. You know, I want to go jump off things and... <laughs> you know, run around. And I only had a, a couple incidents where, you know, I like passed out on a soccer field once or, you know, I, I did something where I overexerted myself and, you know, I just, I wasn't ready for that. But um, I don't know. My parents never really told me I couldn't do anything, which was, I, I think, the reason why I was never feel fearful, uh, you know. So I always, uh, I went out and I would, I would do sports. I was, you know, do whatever. The only thing I was told I couldn't do was scuba dive. Scuba dive. Scuba dive. I don't know why it was like anomaly of something about like the air bubble getting. I don't know. Okay, but got it. As, that was, that as, was per doctor's orders. As a little kid, you're not really encountering a lot of scuba. <laughs> so it's like, ah, oh, that's whatever. Now as an adult, it's a real pain. <laughs> you're floating on the surface, and everyone's down there petting sharks, and <laughs> riding, right, yeah. surfing sharks. When did you first meet Tony Hawk? Man, uh, Tony Hawk. I was, man, I was probably like five years old or something like that. He would come to the local skate park. I was just lucky enough to uh, grow up in um, Del Mar was the area, and he skated at the local YMCA um, in uh, Encinitas. And so I would go there, and he would just be there. So I got to kind of like say hi and watch him do his thing and... um, you know, it's one of the best ramps in town. He grew up skating Del Mar. Uh, I never, I wasn't of the age group that got to skate the cement park that they have, but there's a very famous skate park uh, in Del Mar. And so I ran into him all the time. And um, 
I was a little fearful to talk to him. I mean, it was Tony Hawk, so I never really like said much to him. I just wanted to impress him enough with my skating that he would come talk to me one day. And so, yeah, he finally came to me, and I was just like, yes. Do you, do you remember <laughs> what move or attempt at a move got him to finally break the ice and come over? Um, I can't recall. It was, it was probably doing a, a McTwist, which is... Um, uh, a trick invented by a skateboarder named Mike McGill, and um, it's it's like a front flip while spinning a 540. So 540 is uh, degrees of rotation. You know, if you take a full circle as a 360, so keep adding up. And that was five at age five. Yeah, uh, no, no, no. That was later. I had to. Looks <laughs> like man. No, no. I already felt badly about myself, but <laughs> the stitches were healing, and I was ready to go. My a, mom's like, just get a out fetus there. with a helmet on. <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, showed a lot of promise. Uh, no, but I, so I started to learn, and, and, and he owned the company Birdhouse Skateboards, and so it was my dream. Not only that, once he then talked to me, in my mind, he was then going to ask me to ride for a skateboard company. I had it all worked out. Um, so, you know, he finally came up to me, and we, we became friends, and he invited me to come do some demos with him, because he was doing these, you know, hey, we're going to show up, and we're going we're gonna to skate, and you know, uh, sell skateboards for Birdhouse and things like that. And I was kind of like the token little kid on the ramp, but I was learning at the time better and better tricks. So I, I slowly became, um, you know, a really, really good rider. Is, good it, skater, sorry. is it fair to uh, say, and I mean, you might have even used this word already, but that he was a mentor to you? I mean, you've known him for a very long time, or is that not the right, is that not the right label? You know, he, he really, he was and he wasn't. I mean, that's, that's the funny thing is he never really kind of like sat me down and gave me certain advice. It wasn't like, hey, you should... Uh, wasn't Yoda imparting. Yeah, you should, <laughs> you should make your own uh, video game or you should do this. I mean, it, it never really uh, was him telling me what to do or advice or anything. He was just actually the only guy going through everything that I was just about to go through. I mean, his video game came out. He just landed his 900 at the, the X Games, and he was, he was world famous, and people would approach him. And I was just sitting standby, a witness to all this, like, well, how did he talk to his fans? And like, oh, he's still a normal guy. He's like, he's eating the dirty ice out of the limousine minibar. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's like, oh, I don't care. Like, whatever. Like, he was just the same guy. I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, he isn't like... I was eating the ice. I was a kid. I was like, all right. It's good. So... You know, as a kid, I was just like looking up to him and he was doing it, but he was great. He was a family man at the time. And so that's something that really kind of allowed us to become friends, at least in my eyes, because he was he was this like untouchable figure. And then he asked me to come to a demo once or, or to go on the actually it was the Tony Hawk Gigantic Skate Park Tour, which I was just like baffled. To, I was just amazed. He actually asked me to go on this. And I remember getting to his house. He had this big house, and the gate opened up, and my mom's like, just go in. So I'm like, okay, and I, like, wander in there, and, uh, you know, he had a couple nice cars, and it's like back when, like, having a TV screen and your car was just the craziest thing ever, and he had a PlayStation in the glove, block, in the glove box. I, you know, kid, I was just like, this is just incredible. And all I remember is I go to grab the remote, you know, the, the controller, and it was just sticky. <laughs> And I was like, what the, there's like jelly on it. It was like, and then there's like, and I'm looking, I'm like, wow, there's like, there's chips buried in the seats. And I was like, oh man, there's like a car seat. I was like, oh, this is a dad. He's a dad. 
I was know, wondering like, where that was going. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> Another Tim Ferriss show exclusive. It was sticky and no, so <laughs> you twisted group of people. Um, <laughs> I'm no, a terrible it, influence. It's true. <laughs> no, it just brought him down to reality. I was like, oh, he's a dad. He's got to deal with kids and these things, and it, it allowed us to become friends. I took him as a person rather than as this like untouchable guy. So that's how he really influenced me growing up. He never really kind of steered me in any direction. He was just someone to be observed at that time, at that young age. He is, uh, I haven't spent a ton of time with Tony, but we were in uh, Ethiopia for a brief period of time for mm. Charity Water, and he was just the most down-to-earth guy, and similar to, uh, to David Blaine, the illusionist, he cannot stop doing magic. I mean, if he goes on a plane ride, he's walking through a hotel lobby, like, he can just, like, he cannot stop performing really? magic for people. Really? At, like, any dinner party, it's great, but he just cannot stop. And oh, Tony would walk around. This is rural Ethiopia. And he would carry his skateboard everywhere. Oh, I thought you said Tony was doing magic. No. Like, <laughs> Damn. You're Tony like, just holding out. You're like, wow, the skill set never ends. No, Illusions. no. I'm like, I, oh I clearly God. need... I need I'm more. like, I gotta see Tony no. doing a piece of magic in his whole life. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, all due, all due respect to Tony. I'm not I'm sure that's his so game. David yeah. Blaine's doing David magic. David Blaine... <laughs> And okay. David Blaine had the skateboard. No, okay. Yeah, Tony had a skateboard everywhere. Tony had a skateboard. Okay. And this is like the middle of nowhere uh, in northern like Tigray, Ethiopia. And he's carrying it any time he found a patch of anything approaching asphalt or rideable. Yeah. He would get out of the car and he'd want to introduce kids to being on a skateboard for the first time. It was oh, just the cool. coolest thing. Cool, cool. And he did this like 15, 20 times. But a very down-to-earth guy. I mean, yeah. for all of the fame and all the attention... Took uh, you like three hours to get back to the hotel. Yeah, the three car hours. kept stopping. Yeah, like, exactly. He's, <laughs> he's doing it again. He's got to skate. The it's car. gravel, guys. This yeah. could take a while. Uh, <laughs> so what What did your parents do? Uh, my mom. My mom is a uh, was a waitress, and uh, she worked at. Um, the Hilton Hotel at Torrey Pines is now the Sheraton. No, it was the Sheraton. It's now the Hilton. And uh, my dad worked for the city of San Clemente uh, in the water department. And I don't really know what that means. I just, I'm pretty convinced he was the guy that like had the roadmap out and was like actually sleeping behind it. You know what I'm saying? Like, he was like fixing main breaks and all sorts of things that were going on. But we always, whenever I asked my mom, she's like, he's sleeping. He's, he's sleeping on the job. And that was kind of, it's like, oh, mom, it's, it's pretty harsh. Okay. And uh, do you have siblings? Uh, I um, have an older brother and an older sister. I have actually two older sisters and, um, and an older brother. So I'm the youngest. Um, but, the, but the two, um, so there's my sister, Carrie, who's one year older than me. And then my brother, Jesse, who is a half-brother who's uh, seven years older, and then, you know, I have a, a sister named Jessica, who I don't, I don't see as much, so she's kind of the one that's like, that's why in the beginning I was like, oh, i got a brother and a sister, so she's a half-sister, um, and uh, she's great, but we don't, we don't see much, don't much of much. her yet. When, when you started to get attention at such a young age, and I'm just, I'm looking at these notes, tell me if these are accurate, because I know there's a lot of inaccuracy on the internet. Okay. Uh, so Burton sponsored since seven, or had a relationship with Burton since yeah, seven? seven years old. And then, uh, of course, that continued then after that. Did yeah. your parents do anything or say anything in particular to keep you 
grounded or from just going off the rails, right? Because a lot of people who get attention that young uh-huh. end up kind of flying off the rails. Um, I don't know. It was a strange circumstance because, like, you know, I was sponsored by Burton, but it wasn't the biggest. I mean, it was a really amazing thing, but it it was the circumstance of just, like, the right place in the right time. Burton Snowboards was actually coming out with um, a whole line of kids' products, and they needed kids to ride their boards. So they're like, oh, we got a local kid here, and he'll ride your stuff, and then a local kid there. And, and so I was kind of like part of the development team. We were testing products, doing all these things for them. Um, but I remember the encouragement was they're like, we'll give you this free snowboard. You keep riding. We'll give you another one. And so it didn't really like, I mean, as a kid, like it's all the motivation you need. You're like, oh, I'm getting to this next snowboard. Um, but, uh, you know, I lived in, in San Diego area. There's not much snow. I mean, if you were a... a <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I was... I'm no geographer, yeah, but so, that does make sense so to me. So what I'm, what I'm getting at is, like, you know, I had my whole life on the mountain, and then I'd come home, and I'm, like, walking to school like everyone else. I was, like, doing homework and walk, walking the dog, like, doing normal things. So I never really got to kind of, like, have my head, you know, blown up because I, I never lived in the mountains where, like, I guess kids that knew you were sponsored would think that was very cool and that was very right. whatever. It wasn't until right. I got older that I got a really big head. I'm not sure if you mean literally or metaphorically. I mean, I, you, this no, is hard to compete with. I, hope I'm I not. just had a lot of hair. <laughs> I have a lot of forehead. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, I tried to deglaze it for you guys. I hope I'm not blinding yeah. anyone. But, uh, but they, they were cool. Like, I mean, your, your question was about me, me you know, letting it go to my head, I guess, you know, my parents were really great at making sure, you know, I just had a normal childhood in that sense. Like, you know, I was doing the snowboard stuff, which was cool and all, but they're like, you got to do your homework. You got to do, you know, they were, they were encouraging with the snowboarding, but they kept me in line when I came home. So, so looking at your career, it's, it strikes me and there's a great profile for people who haven't seen it. Uh, Fast Company did a while back. Mm. But that you've you've made some very smart decisions in tr- that have allowed you to have a lot of longevity, and to avoid a lot of the pitfalls that I think athletes, but just general people in the public eye fall prey to. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about how creative control and those types of approvals yeah. came to be? Um, no, it's a great question. I mean, I, I feel very fortunate that I was able to grow with. Um, you know, my success within the sport, you know, it started here, the free snowboard, and then it became, hey, we'll give you a travel budget to get around to your competitions. And then I actually started getting paid to snowboard and I went pro and these things. And, um, sorry, I got a little lost. What were we talking about? Oh, no. <laughs> I do this all the time. You just had get, the getting I lost part. Oh, no, the, just how the, uh, when did you realize that you needed to make decisions oh, about creative approvals. control? Yeah, no, I'm sorry. So, I totally got lost there. Um, excuse me. Uh, no, well, so what happened was, you know, I was growing with the success, and, and so sponsors were coming to me and asking me, hey, we want to do this ad. We want to put you in this this commercial spot or these things. And I'll never forget the day this kid came up to me and asked me to autograph this poster for him. And I'm looking at the poster, and I'm like, I look horrible in this photo. It's just terrible, like the worst photo ever. And you're, you're. I was young. I was like super sensitive about how you know you're insecure about. I'm how still you, pretty how you sensitive and insecure about it. Yeah. It's like the only redhead around. I was like, oh, this just won't work. And so, all I, all I remember is I, I, I signed this poster for this kid, and I'm thinking now he's gonna put it on his wall. All his friends are gonna see it. This is just awful. And um, 
<laughs> and so, but but the product in the shot was amazing. I mean, this thing, you snatch it off the page and drink it. It was just looks so good. And I'm like, this isn't fair. Like, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to change this. I want to be able to prove these things. And I asked my agent at the time about it. And I, my parents, I was like, what, what's up with this? And he's like, oh, you want the right, you want to look through all these and actually approve the, I'm like, yeah, I want to be a part of that. I want to know what's going out with my name on it. And that, that was like my slow intro to having more control of, you know, the imagery and my likeness and, and all of those things that come out, um, that I'm endorsing, I guess. So. Yeah, I, I remember somebody told me at one point, they're like, it takes 10 or 20 years to build a reputation and just one bad decision with that type of thing <laughs> to completely yeah. torpedo it. What are some of the, uh, who are some of the business mentors that you've had or career mentors uh, mm -hmm. or role models for that matter? Uh, I was really fortunate when I was younger to... Um, come across an agent named Mark Irvin at IMG. And um, he was a really great guy. I mean, we, we worked together for, for probably eight years or more. Um, but he was really someone that I looked to and he's like, you know, we could do these things and, and we can, we can you know, work with these companies and we won't even do the deal until we have the approvals. And, and kind of like we put ourselves out there to where, you know, we wouldn't even get the deals unless, unless we knew they wanted to like work with me, not tell me how to, you know, do what I do. Um, but he was a great mentor in that space. And it was funny because my mom, I mean, when he tells the story, it's pretty good because um, my mom asked him to represent me and he said no, because he was really busy, had all these other big clients. And um, and then he, I think he went back and like checked me out online. He's like, oh, this kid might, might be onto something. And he came back to meet me and he said he didn't want to meet with me and my mom. He just wanted to meet with me. And he's like, I'll never forget it. I realized how young you were because you sat down and ordered a milk. <laughs> like, I remember the last time I was like, I'll oh, just take a milk. <laughs> on like, the rocks. Just a on hot day in, yeah. in San Diego. I was like, give me that milk. Uh, yeah, so, you know, he was a great guy and he, he taught me a lot of uh, important lessons and things along the way. And, um, and I don't know, I feel like I always had a, a bit of a excitement about it. I always wanted to know more. And my mom is definitely someone that's influenced me, you know, probably way more than anybody you can imagine. I mean, she was the one that was driving, I, obviously my father as well, but my mom was at the time, she was my mom, she was my business manager, she was kind of my agent, she was, you know, making sandwiches, she was doing everything. And so, um, you know, I, I really... Uh, I'm so thankful that she was there at, at that, that pivotal, uh, you know, that important time in my life. What has been, and we don't have to name names necessarily unless you're, you're comfortable with it, but uh, what have been some of the hardest opportunities to say no to that you're glad you said no to? Oh, man. Uh, bobbleheads. Bobbleheads. <laughs> bobbleheads. Can you imagine? It was just like... <laughs> that was a real one I turned down. I was like, I don't know. Could be cool. <laughs> then I saw someone else's bobblehead, and I was like, damn. The one that got away, you know? Um, I don't know. Like, it was a, I'll, probably, I'll probably end up doing this in a year, which is, we'll all look back at this and laugh. But, um, well, you could have different versions but of there the bobblehead now. I was like 16, and like, we should do the Sean White fragrance. <laughs> I was just like, what? Like, what? Is it winter fresh? What are we gonna like? What is this gonna be? And it just didn't. And I, I was blown away at the amount of money they were willing to offer me. And I was just like, man, I, 
like pad sweat, what are we gonna call this? Like, I don't know what to do. And so I remember, um, I remember turning it down and that was a crazy time because I was like, well, I don't think I'd ever, could have ever in my wildest dreams imagined turning down this amount of money, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, as a kid growing up, and like my family and I, like to make ends meet, we would camp out in this van at the mountains. We, my mom and dad bought a van and then they took it down to Tijuana to get it reupholstered because it had like crazy amounts of fleas. It was used as like a lookout uh, uh, car for the police. I don't, these, I can't wow. even, I can't even make this up. This is real. <laughs> so they took it down to Tijuana, had it reupholstered and like flea bombed it. And then like, this was our home. We would go up to the mountains and like, and now also I'm just turning down this massive amount of money to uh, not do a fragrance. But you know, those were important things. And I, I feel like at the time, you know, as many things I said no to, there was a, a nice list of things that I was currently involved with. And, um, and I was like, you know what, for every one of these, there's probably there's probably a couple more down the line that are the real deals that you want to wait for. And, and it, you know, if it was meant to be, it would have been, you know, it would have made sense. But it just Were there any particular sense. reasons you said no to that? Or uh, any particular thinking as to why that didn't make sense for you at the time? Yeah, just I just was like, I can't picture it on the shelf. I can't picture me standing in front of a crowd like yourself trying to like, oh, look, it's great. I mean, I can... <laughs> The dog loves it, and the people like, what am I, how am I going to promote this? And how, it doesn't really, you know, I didn't even use deodorant at the time. Right. I was just like, like yeah. let alone a fragrance, you know? It's like, what's BO? Like, what? The? Oh, excuse me. Is that me or you? might have been you. I'm blaming it might you. Be me heavy breathing. Um, but yeah, so it just didn't make sense, and I had to really ask myself, is this something I can pull off? Is this something that's going to you know, kill my cred and, and think about it. I mean, the, the world of snowboarding was a very core group. And at that time, especially, it was like a very touchy scenario to be in, to be doing uh, big endorsements with, you know, uh, corporate America. So if you were looking back at, say, uh, Torino and mm -hmm. when it seems like you're just suddenly thrust in front of the largest audience, and, and had the greatest awareness um, compared to previously, what uh -huh. advice would you give yourself? Have, uh, what, what advice now would you give that Sean White? Oh man, um, that's a tough one. Uh, I, I would say it's a tough one because I'm a firm believer in, in the fact of all those mistakes that I made at that point got me to this place and I wouldn't really have learned my lessons and things. I would have told myself to just kind of like enjoy it more, you know. It was a really, to be honest, it was it was one of the hardest times in my life. I mean, I just won the Olympics. It was an amazing, like we did it, you know, in my family and and uh, you know, in the community that we lived in. You know, I I had a someone yelled Bob Burnquist earlier over here. Here we go. Um, you know, there's a skateboarder, Bob Burnquist, and I had crashed into him during a demonstration. I fractured my skull, I broke my hand, I broke my foot. I had to go to school, you know, immediately after this, like, crazy accident. And the teacher saw me and, like, cried at the sight of me. <laughs> and I'm, like, looking around and, like, I'm like, why does everybody look so nice? This is crazy. Everybody's dressed up. It was picture day. Um, <laughs> And I was like, okay, like I had these huge black eyes from the, from the head trauma and all these things. And um, so wait a second, is yeah. this like school photo day? It was the picture day. So did you do you want to like the junior high like? 
Oh, they, one of these, like with the massive black eyes. Oh yeah, like, the photos. I had to do the full on like the side turn, and, like, <laughs> and I just had these. And I'm in a dirty T-shirt. Yeah, just um, look like a victim of a mugging. Yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. Um, sorry, I got a little lost on where I was going with that. What was the original? Oh question? no, I was talking about <laughs> advice to. <laughs> oh, advice to myself when I was younger. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of like where that was where going. Was I'm going. happy to I ride still it. don't know where I was going with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, okay, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> no, we were, we were talking about, like, the community that I grew up in, and, and they didn't really understand what I did. They're like, okay, he go, yeah, that's cool. He goes up to the mountains, and, like, you know, they asked my parents, like, should you, should you smoke weed? Like, <laughs> you know, my mom, like, what are you talking about? Well, you snowboard, you go to smoke some weed, right? And, like, you know, people in the community just didn't really understand, and so there's a big difference between holding up a X Games medal and a, and a gold medal from the Olympics. I mean, everybody understands that and, and can recognize uh, that accomplishment. So it not only kind of like took the people that said I was going to be nothing and that I was, you know, never going to make it in the sport and the teachers that didn't support me and all this, it really, it, it meant that we had succeeded. And so, I don't know, it's, it's kind of, what do you do next? You know, I'm 19. I just like, we did it. And now what? I'm like, I guess, do we try to do it again, I guess? Like, what, you know, where do you get that same fight? You know, you'd won the fight, and it's like, what's next? And so I had a really hard come down from that. I didn't know what to do with myself. The I had an undefeated season when I won that, that year in 2006. And so I was like, I got second place at the event. Um, the, the following season, I was like, well, this year's already not as great as the last one. And you know, I was really hard on myself, and so that was a time where I would look back and tell myself to just obviously, you know, let things happen and, and refresh. Now that I'm older and I've competed at the Olympics, I, I know what that, that come down feels like. I'm prepared. Um, you know, like, like this last Olympics, I was like, win or lose, I'm going to go play some music with my friends. Like, that's what I really want to do. Um, but at that time, it was really tough, and I was dealing with the new success and, and fame from the Olympics, and... Um, endorsements and money and, and what to do. And at the, I was 19. I mean, like normally you move out of, of home when you're 18, you go to college, you go to, I was still at home with my mom. Like, okay, cool. Like now what? Like I didn't, I was like, I guess I could buy a house. That'd be cool. Like <laughs> let's move out. Well, the plot thickens because the house we were in, I actually owned. Um, <laughs> but I was She's like, like, go to your room. You're like, no, you go to your room. <laughs> I, I purchased the house as an investment, you know, and, and when you're 18, you can't actually even, uh, I'm sorry, before you're 18, you can't actually even own anything. You can't, like, write things off in your taxes. You just get slammed. And so I, uh, my, my parents, like, it looked shady in the beginning, but they took the money, they bought the house, and then they put it back into my name under a trust and things. It's complicated. But anyway, so as I got older, I was like, you know what? I love you guys. This, you did this such a great thing by supporting me my whole life. I just won the Olympics. Like, you just stay in this house and live here. I'm going to go get a new place. And that was a whole new, you know, like, just, grow just growing up at that time is tough. And then to add all those extra things on top of it was even more overwhelming. Yeah, you mentioned enjoying it. I remember hearing an anecdote from Neil Gaiman, who's one of my favorite writers, and he became very well known from Sandman. I don't know if anyone here has, has seen the comic book or the graphic novel Sandman. Amazing, and so just sort of reinvented the, the genre of the graphic novel, and he was doing this long signing one point at like the, the, the first peak in his fame, and Stephen King was like, enjoy it, 
Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I didn't. He's like, I just didn't enjoy it. I was too overwhelmed by all these new factors. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so you seem you seem like you've uh, done a very good job of educating yourself from many different sources. Uh, and I, I, in the course of trying to prepare for this, heard that you are a fan of the Andre Agassi autobiography. Yes. Is that, right? yeah. that is an yeah, incredible open incredible book open I recommend it to everyone mm -hmm. why why are you such a fan of that book it was incredible I mean well I was a fan of Andre Agassi just in any ways I had read an interview that he didn't stretch before competitions I never stretched before competitions like I just loved I just thought the guy was so cool and he, he had like the white Lamborghini with the headband and just like cut off shorts it was just yeah. awesome yeah and I just remember seeing that as a kid and going this guy's he's got it go he's got something right here yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like he's doing it right um you know and I just I just thought he was so great and um I remember after the Olympics we got a phone call from Steffi Graf um and my my team manager for the company was like dude I just got off the phone with Steffi Graf like Andre's a huge fan he wants you to come out and um you know, have a, have a hangout during his birthday and go snowboarding. And so we became friends after that. It was really great. And so he sent me the book when it came out. And I was like, oh, this is great. I read the book. And, man, I really enjoyed the book. It was so amazing to hear his story and his kind of, like, struggle of, of not enjoying the sport and, and, and then finally finding his love for it. And, and I don't know. It was just an interesting way he, he told the story. And I compared so many things of that to my life. And, and um and I think the, the part that I enjoy the most is that once he realized that his life wasn't tennis and that it was his family and it was his foundation, he actually played better. He stopped. He, he got that little bit of like, I don't care. I'm going to play my heart out. I'm going to go home to people that love me and people that, you know, care about me. And, and that was something that I've always felt my whole life is that like I snowboard for sure. I love it. I do it. But that's not my life. I mean, my life is is many things it's 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 one great amazing facet of my life but that's that was something that i was like wow I, you know i really relate to that because when i come home i have a whole different you know world of friends and things that i'm interested in and music and art and you know all these things and so i really enjoyed that part of it and and how open and honest he was obviously the book opened uh how honest he was about everything and and you know the ups and downs and yeah it was really cool I've never had so many people come up to me. I was reading the paperback and want to talk to me about the book I was reading. Okay. Just like airplanes, <laughs> restaurants. Um, yeah. And uh, you mentioned, in a sense, him not letting tennis be his entire identity and then playing better. I remember this master negotiator said to me once, he goes, he who cares less wins. And, <laughs> but there's a, there's a really fine line, right? Because mm -hmm. you have to be driven. You have mm -hmm. to take it seriously. But if you have all your chips kind of in one area and you have an off day, then it like destroys your self-worth. What do you what have you done when you've lost some of that enthusiasm? Yeah. But you're still in say competition mode. How do you how have you resurrected that or addressed it? Referencing the book, he had an amazing quote, which I'm gonna probably butcher right now, but he said, the feeling of winning doesn't feel as strong or last as long as the feeling of losing. And I nailed it. <laughs> yeah, that one was for you, Andre. Uh, 
Because <laughs> pressure was on. Um, no, but it's very true. It's very true. Like, you can win something and be like, that was great. What next? But, like, when you lose something, it's just like this. It just weighs on you. And everything isn't as shiny and bright. Everything is just kind of weighed down by this. And you won't let it go, you know. And it's, it's amazing. And so, in my mind, I always kind of twisted things in my favor. I always kind of, like, made it to be what I wanted it to be. So, if I would show up at a competition and win... I go, okay, great. I'm exactly where I need to be. This is what I'm doing. And if I didn't win, I would just turn it in my favor. Like, well, now you know exactly where you need to be. You've seen what the best are doing and you need to now one up that. And, you know, if you look at something and kind of try to see that other side of it, you know, I would get motivated from that. You know, I would use it in my favor to go compete and go get better and, and do all those things. So, um, you know, that's what kind of got me through it, I guess. But I just had this will to always you know, when to be the best. I mean, and a lot of it stemmed from the fact that I was told even with the heart condition and all these things that I wasn't really going to amount to much. So it was like, I, it wasn't so much of a, I want to do this. It's like, I'm, I have to do this. Um, there was an amazing um, situation where I was in Japan at this competition called the Toyota Big Air. And um, I was I was like a wild card entry, so I was paying my travel to get there. With my my mom flew out with me, and uh, you know we're paying for the hotel, we're paying for the food, all these things. All the other riders were invited, so when they got there, they got paid some you know per diem money to show up. And then uh, there's a big prize purse of fifty thousand dollars. Everyone went out that night and partied like crazy. And uh, I was a kid, so I was at home, you know, at the hotel with my mom. They show up hungover to the event. And they're like, you know, the jump's just lame. It's not, you know, there's just nobody. So it was lame and it's not cool. And, you know, we don't want to compete today. We're just going to do a demo. And we're all going to split the money. And like, I'm doing the quick math. I'm like, man, this doesn't even cover our flights out. And so I was like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to split the money. And they like hazed me and they're like, oh, you're all about the money and blah, blah, blah. And I just sat there like, I'm riding really well today. I'm not doing it. And it. You know, they had like a big picture of all the writers' faces and they're drawing dollar signs in my eyes and things. <laughs> I was 15, man. Like, that was intimidating. It was like my heroes, like, making jabs at me. And, man, I won. Good for you. I won. Good for you. Yeah. It was, uh... It was $50,000 in a car. I was 15. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> what do we do? It was in yen, too. Was like, <laughs> With the steering? <laughs> like, <laughs> there's a photo. And it's the best photo in the world because I have it all laid out on the bed because I thought it was so cool. I was like, I mean, look at all this You're just fake Scro money. Scrooge look at McDucking. It. And yeah, and, and, my mom, and the best photo ever because I have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, I was like, I did a good job. And I'm like... <laughs> eat my sandwich uh, but that's you know one of those things where I, I don't know that was just one demonstration of like me being confident in my riding knowing what I was there for and I, and I wanted to win I mean people wanted to know like why didn't you get you know pulled into drinking and, and drugs and these things and I just didn't have time for it man I wanted to win I wanted to be the best and and nothing could really get in my way what do you think the the sources of that strength in face of that type of peer pressure. I mean, that's unusual for a 15-year-old, especially when you're being faced by your idols who are suddenly you know, throwing yeah. darts at you. Uh, <laughs> did that come from your parents, or is it just something internally that you've always had, or is, or is there a different answer? 
I think it was both, you know. I'd put in the work. I'd put in the time. I felt like I was the best rider, and and these guys had their travel paid to get there. They were all doing, you know what I mean? And I, I just felt like, you know what, this is my day, and I'm not going to let them ruin it. And, I, and I'd, I'd work toward this goal. Um, and, and, you know, I, I usually set goals. Every single season I set a goal. It's either, like, something very serious, and it's usually two goals. It's something very serious and something funny. Something stupid. Like what? <laughs> what would be an example of each? You're gonna, you're gonna, it's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> one of them was to um, win the Olympics, and then one of them was to see how many cars I could win. How many cars? How many cars? Because at the time, the automotive industry, they were just like handing out cars. So <laughs> you, I was like, okay, I got my car in Japan. That's great. And, I, and I, so I was on a roll, and... and I think by the end of the end of the run, I had like nine cars, and they weren't. They some of them they weren't. There was like a Suzuki Sidekick and like a and like this Volvo and a Jeep and a you know these random cars. But that was like one of my goals. Like how many cars can I win? You know, and I ended up like donating them at the end because I, I, I you know I had to pay taxes on them and all these things. I was just like, all right, like somebody can just have this. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here's the Suzuki. Sorry, yeah. the steering wheel's on the wrong side. Yeah, enjoy. Just take it. There you go. Uh, do you, do you um, still do goal setting like that? I do. Um, yeah, they're always random, man. Uh, <laughs> the Vancouver Olympics. Um, I can't believe I'm telling you this. I had my goals were to again win the Olympics, and then the other goal was to um, wear these pants. And the pants that I had made were these American flag pants. <laughs> Just follow me. Um, I saw this photo of Axl Rose wearing something similar. They were probably a little more snug and shorter. I was like, I can't pull that, but I'm, I, can make, I can make some pants like that. And, yeah, it was just like this stupid goal. Like, man, if I won, like, maybe... I don't know, like, I could get on the cover Rolling Stone or something like that. I, I had been on the cover when I first won um, the Olympics and had this, like, ridiculous nickname that I've been given, a tomato and all these things. I was like, that's so not cool. Like, I got to, if I win again, what if they put me on the cover and what if I'm in American flag pants, like, doing some Axl Rose type something? And so that was my goal. I had the pants, like, made and then tailored up at the Vancouver Games, and I, and I, I won so I could wear the pants. <laughs> Did you wear them while you were competing, or was that just a celebratory pants? No, it was, just, it was just celebratory pants for after. <laughs> These are all true stories. Um, and then I got on the cover of Rolling Stone wearing those pants. That's amazing. <laughs> you visualize the dream and the goal and then you make it happen I mean, but that's what's fun is it, it, it takes a lot of the pressure off of it winning the Olympics is a very big goal it's a very stressful goal to have you know so it's nice to have something else to offset, offset it. Like, it oh man like obviously if I won all these cars that meant I was gonna win the Olympics because I was winning all the events you know if I get to wear the pants that means I won the Olympics it's like it kind of downplays the whole you know, uh, magnitude of it. So that's, that's kind of why I do it. Did you come up with that yourself, or did Plus you? Plus, they were cool pants. So. <laughs> <laughs> did you Did you come up with that yourself, or did you borrow mm -hmm. that from someone else? You did. No, I just kind of like <clears throat> everything was so serious at the time, and I don't know. That was just kind of my way of dealing with it. When you're getting ready to compete, and I was just watching some of your video today, and it struck me how relaxed 
you seemed, I mean, seemed, uh, and just even in the, in the landings in particular, I was paying attention. And what are you saying to yourself, if anything, when you're up there kind of at the gate mm. about to be released for your run? <laughs> I mean, what is, what, do you, what is your internal dialogue? Or, um, I don't think there's it, it's anything that could be repeated in such polite company. <laughs> oh, these people aren't polite, <laughs> yeah. trust me. Um, I don't they're know. my listeners. I, they're not polite. I usually, I'm not really thinking about anything. And that's the beauty of music. They play some music at the top. You start singing along. And then I go down my run. And I'm usually just kind of like humming along to the song. And the goal is to like, you're completely focused. And then there's that bit of like not caring. And that allows you to then just do the tricks. Like you've practiced. You know what to do. You're your own worst enemy at that point. Because if you overthink it, you know, you're gonna, you know, like the couple questions ago, I was like, where am I going with this? And then I forgot what the question was. <laughs> like, you know, you, you can't let yourself, you know, get in the way of what you're trying to do. And so I always describe it like I'm thinking of, uh, you know, each wall. So I'm doing my flips and thinking about the next trick. So that's a way to kind of like avoid overanalyzing this landing or something like that. The tough part is, is the last hit because there's no more hits after that. So uh, there's a really funny video of me um, at some competition. It's really cold out. And you can see my first hit. I do my big trick and there's this big puff of breath because it's so cold out you can see my breath. And then the next trick comes. I'm doing my thing. Puff of breath. All the way down on that last hit. There's no breath. I was holding my breath trying to make sure I land that trick. You know, it, it's always that, um, you know, that flow you get, that, that kind of like one hit to the next. And I really can't pinpoint one specific moment out. Um, and usually at the top, I'm just kind of like, I don't know. I'm usually either, I probably just say a little prayer and kind of, I, 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 I think, I, I, <laughs> I say, who cares? <laughs> I do. I go, who cares? Like, what's the, <clears throat> in the end of the day, like, like, who cares? Like, what's the, you know, what's the big deal? I'm, I'm here. I'm going to try my best and who cares? Like, I, I, I'm going to go home and my family's there and like the Andre Agassi reference. I mean, who cares? I'm going to, I'm going to go on from this, you know, even though I'm so, my whole world's wrapped up in this, like, who cares? So yeah. It's very, uh, very stoic in, yeah. uh, in, in the most positive way. Yeah. It reminds me also, I was interviewing uh, Triple H, the professional wrestler, Paul Levesque, and he's friends with Floyd Mayweather. Before uh -huh. one of Floyd's championship fights, uh, Floyd invited him into the locker room where he's doing his warm-up and stuff. He goes, well, I don't want mm -hmm. to interfere or, or bother you while you're getting in, getting in your head and getting ready to fight. And he goes, you're not bothering me. He's like, if yeah. I'm not ready, I'm not ready. Oh, he's wow. like, if I'm ready, I'm ready. It's like, there's yeah. nothing I'm going to do in the next 10 minutes that's going to make a difference. Oh, man. Uh, the, <laughs> are there any other books uh, that, have, that, that you particularly love or have given to other people? The book I've given the most, uh, <laughs> it's called Fifty Shades of Chicken. <laughs> are you serious? It's a cookbook on okay. chicken. It's right. delicious, and it's got this, this like... <laughs> <laughs> I love chicken, and I love this book. And it's got this chicken all tied up on the front, like, <laughs> just begging to be, yeah. Um, <laughs> besides that, um, <laughs> um, uh, The Outliers. Um, yeah, Malcolm Gladwell. And I can't, I can't quote the whole book, because I kind of, I, I'm sorry, Malcolm, but I read half of it. Um, <laughs> just I, my attention span wanders, and... But I, I kind of stopped just because I, 
I really, I was reading it and, and I really enjoyed the book and I, I, you know, I, I actually just left it on the plane. That's why I stopped. <laughs> I should have just bought another one. But, um, and then Harry Potter came out. <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do. Um, <laughs> a chicken book came out. Um, no, so I was reading the book and I was amazed about the, the story about the hockey players and, and this kind of anomaly in the, in the system and, I started applying that to my own life. And I was like, wow, well, people would think I was at a disadvantage growing up in Southern California. I was like, well, I don't find that as a disadvantage at all. It was probably sunny, you know, and nice out the majority of the year uh, or the winter season. You know, our winters aren't like, you know, somewhere in Colorado or Vermont. So the amount of days I could actually go ride would probably, I don't know, double or triple the amount of someone growing up somewhere else. And then at the same moment, the person that was building the parks at, uh, Bear Mountain and Summit, Snow Summit Resort, um, you know, it was like this small mountain. So they're like, oh, yeah, do what you want. You snowboarders, go do what you want. And this guy was building these amazing jumps, this amazing half pipe. He now builds all of the courses for the world's best events. That's where he got his start wow. at these mountains. Um, you know, they weren't going to let him go to Aspen and like tear up the, you know, the groomer or trail or whatever. So, um, you know, that happened. And then another thing I, I compared to my life is that um, the half pipe that they had had a T-bar. I had like a tow rope at it. So I was thinking, wow, the amount of days now that I'm riding because it's sunny and the amount of runs I'm getting because I don't have to unstrap and hike back up. I would just do my trick, get back on the chair and go back up. I was like, wow, I'm packing in like you know, months of, of training in these small windows compared to someone else that lives in in Vermont or something where it's like below, well, well below freezing and they're hiking the pipe, they're tired. That's, you know, when you're cold, it's like, it's frightening to go, okay, I'm going to try this flip. Like, no, you're not. Like, it's super intimidating now. Like, it's cold. You want to go home and get warm. Like, I was in these conditions where the snow was soft. I got some guy building the best terrain um, around. And uh, yeah, so there's a lot of fun things that came into play, especially Burton snowboards just happened to come out with the snowboard line. So a lot of fun things, um, you know, that I was able to apply to my life from that book. How is your physical training, since we're talking about training and practicing, yeah. how has your physical training changed or evolved? Um, I'm actually doing it now. <laughs> You have I'm you have a I'm physical training. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's strange. I've I've I I consider what I do a sport. I consider myself an athlete, but I never really treated myself as one. <clears throat> um, especially when you're 16, you know, you just bounce back. Like, or you're, you're younger, you try these tricks. You don't have to work out. I, I I'm like, we're taking the chairlift. We're going downhill. I'm not like you know, going up against someone that's twice my size and I got to deal with that. It's, it's definitely like an individual sport and it, it relies on the element of being creative. You know, I can come up with a brand new trick that no one's done before and be the best in the world where it doesn't matter how hard I hit the gym. I still have to be inspired and then have the, you know, the guts to go do this trick and perform it and, 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 you know, master it. But, uh, Recently, I watched a documentary um, called Seven Days in Hell. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is funny. This is really great. But below that was an actual doc. It's a mockumentary with Andy Sandberg and, um, and one of the guys from Jon Snow from Game of Thrones. I don't, sorry, I know his real name. Yeah, great actor. Um, and so, really funny film. Right below it was an actual documentary of Bjorn Borg and uh, John McEnroe. And um, I was like, oh, I got to watch this. And I'm watching. 
And uh, John was, uh, I'm sorry, Bjorn, you know, had his trainer wake him up. Somebody was hitting balls with him and the other guy's stretching him. And I was like, he's got his whole team. This is amazing. Like, why don't, why don't I have that? Why don't I do that? And like, this is, this is probably like a couple months ago. <laughs> and so I was like, I got on the phone. I was like, okay, I need a trainer and I need this, this girl, um, to travel with me and help me stretch and, Swan, and yeah. you know, get my back fixed from the plane and, and. It sounds so ridiculous to me now that I don't, I didn't do it before. Um, you know, my eyes were just opened by seven days in hell, which is pretty funny. Uh, but yeah, so I was like, I, what I did before um, is I would just show up in a city and I just roll the dice and be like, hey, do you know anyone that's good at physical therapy or massage? And you get the one that's like, they're just not, they're not doing anything, you know? And you're like, oh, that was great. Thank you, you know? And, or you get somebody that's like, this is Sean White. Like, I got to impress this guy. Oh, right, in so. one session, he's just all like... All elbows, oh, all I, elbows. Yeah, although I can barely walk after the thing. So I was like hesitant to even get training. And I was like, well, you know, my back's so locked up. It's really helping, like, me stick my landings. You know, like, yeah, it was crazy. And so I, I just recently decided, you know, wow, why don't I take this into my own hands and... Obviously, I'm getting older, and uh, it, yeah, it was something I really wanted to to do, and and it's made it so much easier. <laughs> Surprise, but yeah, it's it's something I don't know. I just I didn't really think about it, and yeah, I'm 29. I was like, oh, I should probably <laughs> get the chance. <laughs> what is there any particular type of training or piece of that training now that you feel has has helped you the most? Yeah. Um, and when I say I didn't train, I mean, there were moments where I was like, okay, like I'm going to make sure for this month I really like hit the spin bike or I'll do this. Or there was various trainers where I would meet up with them and then, you know, we'd, we'd hit it for maybe a couple weeks and then I'd fizzle out because I would go on uh, trips and things. And um, the only really time I did go to the gym was after injuries. I hurt my knee and it, it freaked me out. I was like, wow, I got to hit the gym. I got to really protect my knees and my things that are going to keep me in the sport. Um, but the training that I find now that really helps was, uh, it, it's balance and core and, uh, and visual, visu I can't even say it to visualize my runs and things, you know, to picture myself. I'm very visual. Like I know what I'm going to see when I hit the jump. I know what the, the landing's going to look like. I know what, you know, who's going to be waiting at the bottom of the, of the run to, you know, high five me, you know, good job. Like all these things, I visualize everything down to the pants I'm going to wear. Like literally it gets pretty involved and so you know I, I feel like the training when you're thinking about you know those positive outcomes and you're thinking about what you want to do what you want to achieve while training is a very powerful thing and then um yeah just 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 simple simple things that i should have probably been doing for a long time now so when you're coming up on a, an important competition out of water here and uh not at the gate but in the hours preceding that what is your yeah. what do your rituals look like or routines? I don't know, man. My mom's super, su very superstitious, and um, and so like I wasn't in the beginning, and now it's slowly rubbed off on me. Because I would come home or I'd come back to the hotel after the event, my whole room was packed up, my whole bag was packed up. It's like these maids are really going for that extra, <laughs> the extra tip. Yeah, they're going the extra mile here. Like, what's going on? And so she was like, "Oh, if I sneak in your room and pack up your bags, it means you're going to be safe and you're going to win the event." It's just like, "All right, lady, like, <laughs> lady, you're scaring us," you know. And so I remember, uh, you know, I won, and then I won the next one, and then I'm like, 
Now, there I am packing my bag. You know? <laughs> like, I don't want to break tradition. Uh, but nowadays, like the things I do is I, I tend to eat a, a steak before I compete. Um, the night before, some skateboarder told me he does it. I tried it. I won. Now I have to eat a steak. Now you're locked into sticks. Yeah, yeah. Which is pretty crazy because I didn't eat a steak before Sochi. Really? Yeah. Wait, you? Oh, you did not eat a steak I that day. I did not day. eat a steak. But you meant that's that. when you picked up the superstition, kind of like your training. No, very well, it adds to the superstition. But um, but yeah. So there's like a bunch of things like did that, that mess you up before Sochi and not having the steak? Totally. <laughs> there's a, there are like five of those things that I'm talking about that all took place before the event. Um, it's not because I didn't want steak. I didn't all of a sudden be like, you know what? going vegan like no i was just like you know they didn't even know if they were going to run the competition you know leading up to the event we had three days of practice and the half pipe was unrideable for three days and so the meeting that night was to decide if they were even going to do the event the next day which is a very tough scenario as a competitor because you're like all right tomorrow we're gonna maybe do this you know you get all psyched up and it's like this big maybe and so the meeting went till 2 a.m and uh, my coach at the time is the one that cooks the steaks. And he's just like, we're in Russia. You want me to find you a steak right now? <laughs> I'm like, I'm not one to break tradition, but you want to do it tonight of all nights, you know? And so anyways, that, that story aside. But um, yeah, there's, there's things where I get, I get a song that's played and I have to hear that same song. What's if the I song? Win. Uh, it depends. I, uh, for 2006, it was ACDC's Back in Black. Uh, one was Communication Breakdown by Led Zeppelin. Um, you know, one was a Black Keys song. Uh, uh, what was the song? I think Howlin' For You. Um, all right. Uh, yeah, so there, there's strange things. I, I was 16. I went to my first concert ever. It was the Ozfest. And oh, went, yeah. And I, yeah, I went with my parents. I was like, oh, this is incredible. And also I bought, my first concert. Yeah, and I bought this T-shirt that said uh, uh, the Prince of fucking Darkness. And it was, <laughs> it was Ozzy and Flames. And I was like, this is great. And I started wearing it under my, under my jersey every competition. And I was winning. Ozzy was like, you know, helping me out. And so, <laughs> you know, just random things like that. So there's like select T-shirts and songs and things over time that, you know, I kind of. So you mentioned I, this. This could not. I couldn't have planned this. <laughs> you bring up the uh, the Ozzy Osbourne. What was it? Prince of Fucking Darkness. Yeah. Okay. So did you design a jacket called the most unholy jacket ever? Yes, I did. <laughs> can you can you explain that? Um. Well, it was amazing. Like at the time. I was I was really young and and I was slowly you know gaining this popularity and so Burton Snowboards came to me and they're like we want to do a pro model snowboard boot and I was like wow okay cool like I have no idea what to do so I asked my older brother uh, Jesse and he was always very artistic and he you know we came up with this like really cool quilted print and and it sold out it was an amazing hit uh, we came out with another one and that grew into you know, boots and a board and helmets. And then it became a whole clothing line uh, at Burton Snowboards um, called the White Collection. And basically, uh, you know, that had free reign to do whatever I wanted. He's like, well, it'd be hilarious if the tagline was super long. You know, we had the tags for the jackets at the store that was just like this long, like a foot long. Like, I was like, oh yeah, the most unholy jacket ever. That'd be great. You know, so we... So that was pretty much why we named it that, was that we could have these really long, big, obnoxious tags on the jacket. Were there any other, any other names that are particular favorites? 
Oh, man, I can't recall. There were some good ones, um, but it was fun. We, we would always do these strange things. I mean, I was always about the little details. So uh, there was a, a, a pass pocket that you have in your jacket that you flip up and get scanned to go on the chairlift. And there's always this lame photo um, of Jake Burton. He's not lame. Just the photo was lame. No offense. Uh, but... I remember thinking, like, God, they print this out and they make it. Why don't we do something really funny in there? So we we turned it into this, like, my brother figured out how to take one piece of paper and fold it into, like, a little comic book. And we would, like, display these bizarre, you know, like, pieces of art and sayings and things and hairy armpits and just weird stuff. So, um, yeah, it was all about those little details. But people appreciated it. You know, when you bought the jacket, you were always discovering, like, fun things and, um, you know, in, in the unholy jacket, we had this like one pocket that you would flip up and it would say the most unholy jacket ever. And on the other side, it was like these people dancing in flames and things. It was just fun. You know, I really enjoyed doing it. And that was my introduction into designing. Um, you know, I, I, I just like getting the right of approval for my ads and things. There's a natural kind of progression and story to all of these things that I'm, I'm involved in with now you know i didn't wake up like i need my own clothing line like no I, it was my brother was an amazingly talented artist we had this great opportunity and we enjoyed doing it we would make the drawings on napkins the samples would get made in china we'd bring them back make adjustments and then you see somebody wearing your jacket and it's incredible it's this fulfillment of like wow he stood in front of this huge wall of clothing and picked my jacket like that's so cool you know that 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 connection there yeah, you you have I mean this is part of the reason why i wanted to invite sean uh, and everyone who's who's uh, been here so far is that you have you're, you're good at several many different things, and I'm always curious about how things transfer. So, for instance, music. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about the music? But and then uh, I'd like to hear if anything that you had learned through competing in sports or practicing sports translated to music. Um. Music was a strange one just because no one else in my family is musical in the slightest. Uh, you know, especially my sister. <laughs> just <laughs> cannot carry a tune to save herself. But um, yeah, I don't know. It was just one of those things where I, I turned it into a competition, to be honest. I won a guitar at a snowboard contest and I was like, wow, well, what if I could just be at a party somewhere and play one song? And one song turned into like, okay, I'm now training to be a, a guitar player. And at that age, my world revolved around, like, I'm going to be the best at this. Like, I don't care. I'm going to be the best at this. Um, and, uh, you know, one other thing I do besides set goals for myself is I just, like, pick these battles that just do not exist. There was, like, the sweetest kid at the skate park. He, he skated for Birdhouse, and I just... I was like, I have to destroy this guy. Like, How old were you when he decided he needed to destroy oh, Right it? when I knew he was on Birdhouse, I was like, he's got to go. He's coming down. Like, I just built this in my mind. And like, he was the sweetest, nicest kid ever. This like, tall, blonde kid. And I was just like, hell-bent on destroying him. Um, in my mind, I didn't want to hurt him or anything. Like I just dethroned him. Yeah, yeah. Like, he had my spot, and I wanted it. I wanted to be hanging with Tony and doing the demos and stuff. And so at the same time, I was learning guitar. There were two other kids in the neighborhood that were learning guitar, and I was like, they got to go. <laughs> they got to go. And so I would sit on the plane, and I would, like, stretch my fingers because I couldn't reach all the fret. I was like, one day these things are going to gonna pay off. And so I'd stretch my hands out because um, it's difficult to reach all the frets. And then 
I was on the plane and I would take my guitar pick and I would I couldn't upstroke at the time, and so I would I would play the side of my pants seam. On the, dude, Your I neighbor just, must have loved you. I'm serious. I I would sit there and listen to music and I would strum <laughs> I would strum the side of my pant leg to the beat of the song and to the to the rhythm of the music and um, you know to get my wrist you know acquainted with that motion and. Uh, <laughs> That was serious, I hope we have man. video. That's so, going to be a hell of an animated gift. So, yeah, so I remember, like, the one day I show up, and the one kid had been playing guitar. It was very unfair. I mean, he'd been playing for 10 years or more, and I'm like, he's got to go, you know? And, <laughs> and so the one day I got, got my fulfilling moment where it was like a Metallica song, and he couldn't play the one riff, and I could, and it was just... Do you remember the song? It was so sweet. Um... It was Master of Puppets, <gasps> pretty sure. Yeah, first metal album. And um, yeah, so I picked these battles, and it's, it's Master of Puppets. That's a hard song. It's very hard. Yeah, I was, I, you know, I was just going for whatever. And at the time, you know, any kid that picks up a guitar, I guess my friends were all listening to Metallica, and it's very guitar riff driven. So it was nice. I was always picking out the leads and things, and I didn't know any chords or why it made sense. I just learned from guitar tablature off the internet you know, the numbers that represented the frets and which string, and I would just sit there for hours, like, okay, number two, all the way down to fret five, and I would, like, hours and just hours, digest. stretching the fingers and just getting ready. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it was fun, and then and then deep down, like, anybody that picks up a guitar is like, man, what, what would it be like to play on stage and to do this? And from that young age, I was like, very self-aware of that like I didn't want anybody to take a photo of me with the guitar I didn't want to play for anybody or let anybody in that world because I wanted to just show up all of a sudden and be really incredible at it so that was kind of like how I do things I, I'd rather like go and train in private than show up and be like, oh yeah whatever <laughs> um, <clears throat> I do that with a lot of strange things so that was kind of my way of like you know, practicing, keeping it fun. And, and it, it's nice. You make these, like, I don't know, it, it really got me to be good at guitar. I, like, I had this competition, and I had these things going, and it, and it really helped me. Um, is the performing yeah. different from competing in snowboarding? Obviously, physically, it's different. But is it yeah. emotionally, psychologically different for you? It's, it's yeah, it's way different. I mean, the, the feeling is the same, because it's, like, that instant gratification of like doing a big air to hear the, the crowd you played cheer. to some large crowds i mean this is yeah these um, are like high school graduations <laughs> i mean these are yeah, big operations we had some pretty amazing opportunities um i play <clears throat> uh lead guitar in a band called bad things uh it's composed of most mostly friends of mine from the neighborhood i grew up in and, and some some amazingly talented guys i met in la and um you know, we started making our own songs and we got offered some gigs and things. And um, there was one moment where we got invited to go to Lollapalooza. Um, and I was like, man, this is this will be heavy. Uh, just wait. It was for the kids stage. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, you know what? It'll be more so punk rock if we just go like play that kid stage. And like, because I, I don't think I should be on the main stage. I'm just because I'm in the group does not mean that we should be giving these scenarios. And so. We show up and we, you know, we did our thing. We had a really great show for the kids. And, um, and then the, the most amazing thing happened. Um, it was like out of a movie. So the main act on the Grove stage at Lollapalooza decided they weren't going to play. They put a big sign out that said, our art will not be displayed here. And their fans completely demolished their gear and all this, all this you know, craziness ensued. Um, and, and they looked around, they're like, we need a band to play the main stage. And I was like, 
we're a band. <laughs> you know, like literally like <laughs> we're a band. And, and then it was crazy. They're like you come with us. Um, and so there we were. I was like, oh my God, this is our moment. Like we got to do this. And they're like, okay, you ready for this set? And so, <laughs> so we played one of the most incredible sets we've ever had. You know, we, we rose to the occasion. We had this amazing set. Um, and, and just like anyone that picks up a guitar and dreams of being on stage, you dream of that, t that moment you're walking off stage and everyone is cheering for one more song. And the, <laughs> the best moment of that is I look at my buddies and I was like, do we even have another song? Like, <laughs> we don't have another one. He's like, play the first one again, you know? And so we go back out there. <laughs> yeah, like, it was incredible. It was an incredible moment in time. And, um, yeah, and so that got us a lot of credibility in that space that we actually owned the moment and we, we played for people. They enjoyed it. And that got us a lot of credibility. So then we got offered uh, to tour with Jared Leto's band, 30 yeah. Seconds to Mars. And... Um, there we are in like Romania for 10,000 people, you know, it was incredible, incredible, you know, to open up for them. And then uh, we did a run through the U.S. with a band called Fantagram. Um, but yeah, it was it was just great, you know, to be playing on stage, doing something different and um, and that excitement. And and all I'll say is that you're out on stage with your friends. It's not all on my shoulders. You know, I can kind of like, you know, miss the pedal or something can happen and go wrong. And it's not the end of the world in that sense. The show goes on, you have, a, you have time to like make up for it. Um, you know, obviously I, I'm a perfectionist, so nothing can go wrong. I have to have it perfect, but it, it's just great to be out there with everyone, you know, really combined effort. It's not all, all up to me. If I play a perfect show, you know, the drummer probably didn't hear the mix in his set and it was a terrible show. <laughs> so everyone has to come together to have uh, an amazing performance. So that's, that's something different. And you have some very exciting stuff coming up soon and that is yet another sort of branch of sean white enterprises uh can you explain for people what's coming up yeah um it's really incredible uh it's an event that's called aaron style um it's coming up here in los angeles uh, february 20th and 21st at the la coliseum expo park um it's a sports and music festival um, that started about 20 years ago in Austria. Uh, I was a competitor at the event. I then became the host of the event. And then um, some interesting circumstances led me to being the new owner of the event. And my dream was to take that passion for music and touring festivals and obviously my knowledge and experience and love of snowboarding and combine those two. So um, down at the, at, the, at the Coliseum, we built a 16-story big air jump. What is um, an air jump? Uh, big air jump is just like one big jump. <laughs> 16 stories. Is 16 story tall. Yeah, it's massive. 16 so stories. Is it like a ski jump, one of these? Yeah, it's just All like right. one big hit. And so basically uh, the world's best are coming to compete on it. And um, and then you mix that with an amazing music lineup. We have uh, J. Cole, uh, Incubus, Haim. Um, we have Action Bronson, um, even Cascade will be there, which is very exciting. And um, 
Yeah, ASAP Ferg, uh, Rudimental, really amazing bands, All Time Low. And, and so the idea is that you have this, this mashup. I mean, obviously, my world of sports is so close to music that like it's, it, it's just nice to see everybody come together and experience these things. And it really represents the culture behind the sport. So we have art and fashion, technology, all of these things that you would find at a festival. Um, but the amazing part is that it's a tour. So this actually takes place in um, Beijing in December. We just had a stop in Austria and Innsbruck. So this is the final stop of the tour. So all of these snowboarders have been competing this whole entire time, and we crown the winner at this last event in Los Angeles, and we make this really cool championship ring. So, yeah, everybody's so trying to I win like, it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've never been in person to the X Games. I've never been to Coachella. This is my chance to just kind of do both at once. Exactly. That was the goal, you know, and, and uh, it's cool. I mean, it's like one of those things of like, why didn't this happen before, you know, combining the two? I mean, if you're watching a tennis match, wouldn't it be cool if... Halfway through, like, you know, like. <laughs> Ozzy Osbourne yeah, bites a bat's head off and like, starts yeah, ripping. Yeah, all these chicks came out and rocked the show. I mean, it was really cool, and it was an opportunity for me to do something brand new. And, um, you know, after the last Olympics, um, I didn't win, and I was sitting there, and normally you're kind of flooded with these these offers of, hey, you could get some easy money by doing a deal with so-and-so or doing this and that. And, you know, I was getting offers, but it definitely wasn't like, what you get when you win and uh and it was you know in hindsight it was it was the perfect opportunity for me to sit down and go what would i like to do you know and, and actually put my own money into it and and build this thing that's that's been my dream and it's it's really something to be seen we did it last year it was a total blowout we had kendrick lamar play and and you know it's really my vision came together and it became real when my mom showed up she was just like what did you do like this thing's <laughs> massive it's 16 stories and um tickets, yeah how do you get tickets yeah uh you can go to aaronstyle.com or you can go to frontgatetickets.com um and it's great it's 75 dollars i'll get you in the gate and then uh, what's really cool is kids under 10 get in for free and the whole idea behind that was you know, you can you can come to the event, watch the professionals do their thing, and there's a whole learn to ride area for whoever wants to ride. But you know, hopefully, kids will try it out, fall in love with it, then go up to the mountains, and it kind of refreshes the sport with the youth and, and and all that. So, and that's how I got my start. I was introduced to it, so I can only hope that you know somebody comes to the event and becomes the next so and so because you know they got their start trying out snowboarding. But yeah, uh, hope you guys can make it. It's awesome. Man. Check it out, guys. <laughs> so. Uh, Want to be? I know you have a bunch of commitments coming up too. So mm -hmm. I'll ask just a, a couple more questions, and then we'll we'll wrap up. I'm sure, we can talk for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> so maybe we'll do a round two sometime. But uh, when you think of the word successful, who's mm -hmm. the first person who comes to mind? Successful. Um, I can only pick one person. No, you can pick multiple spots. Multiple person. Ah, Donald. Duck. <laughs> I, was I was like, what's that going to say? Uh, man, I don't really know. I guess top of my mind right now would be Andre Agassi. You know, he's got the kind of success that, you know, I think it, besides the money and the fame and the things, I mean, he's got a family. He's got people that care about him. If he was in a troublesome scenario, he could call somebody that would come help him out with that. You know, I mean, I, I, I measure it in that. Who do you rely on to tell you when you're wrong or give you tough, tough love, that type of advice? Um, my brother, definitely. Jesse. Jesse, my brother Jesse. Um, 
I wanted it. We, we put out an album with the band and uh, I wanted to thank him in the credits because he was because he told me I couldn't do it. <laughs> He's like, what are you going to be, Kevin Bacon? What are you going to, you know? And I was like, well, I'll show you, you know? And, and it was really helpful. It drove me to actually complete the album and things. But he'll give me the straight on everything. He'll, he'll come in and tell me what he really thinks. How does he deliver that? It depends, you know. He's either like, he'll just make fun of me until I like, you know. <laughs> until or, you relent. Or he'll, or he'll be very sincere about something and want to give his input. But he, he was the one um, always doing the new tricks. He introduced me to the sport. Um, you know, I was always wanting to do what my older brother was doing. So he's, he's the guy that's always been that one I go to. So you mentioned new tricks. Uh, people always talk about coming up with good ideas in the shower. I've never had that experience. Maybe I just don't take enough showers, but yeah. when do you tend to come up with new tricks? Um, it really depends. Usually it's by mistake. You go in, you're like, okay, I'm going to do the two flips and then I'm going to come out and this is exactly where I'm gonna be wrong completely wrong you know what I mean you end up doing something new and then you can go wow well that actually worked out you know I'm gonna actually build upon that now you got a brand new trick that no one's ever done before um or I, I, I don't really dream about it or something like that I had a friend call me once and told me about a trick that was a possibility and I completely disagreed, but it got me thinking about another scenario. You know what I mean? It always Definitely. comes from something different, but that's that's usually how it happens for me. It's by mistake or I'm just in the right mood and I want to try something. Is there any historical figure that you would have enjoyed meeting? Man, this is tough. <laughs> so we can, we can also hard. we can also come back to that or just yeah, we'll come back hit to pause that. on that one. Okay. Uh, so if you could have, let's see, I'll go with the billboard again. So okay. <laughs> you have a billboard, you can put anything on it that is not an advertisement for anything that's oh, coming up immediately man. soon. What would you put on it? I'm sitting here trying to promote an event and I can't even put oh. it on the billboard. Uh, <laughs> no, um, I don't know. Uh, but put on the billboard, man, probably my dog. <laughs> your dog? I'm like that guy that's like, my dog's the best looking dog ever. Like, <laughs> uh, you should check his Instagram account. It's really... <laughs> Does he have an Instagram? It's gaining account? popularity. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Wait, what is your dog's Instagram? Uh, Mayor B. M A Y O R B. Um, <laughs> it's pretty hilarious. My sister runs it. You're in for a treat if you check it out. <laughs> Got it. So this would be the billboard would be for your dog's career. Yes. Yeah. Because okay. he's 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 yeah he's got it going. <laughs> is there any ask aside from checking out? the obviously the event yeah uh suggestions for people who are here listening to this just something to take with them to ponder or yeah to do i don't know i really kind of i, I based if, if you know this is just some advice from me i guess and I, it's it's served me very well over the years but um it's the simple lessons that you can look out for. I mean, like when I wanted to learn a new trick that was really difficult or I wanted to like in the beginning of my career, like I couldn't ride what's called switch. So the natural way I ride is left foot forward. It's called regular. And if I was right foot forward, it's it's called goofy. But so I'm regular. And when I put my right foot forward, that means I'm riding switch. It's my unnatural way of riding. It's like if you're going to hit a baseball and then you had to kind of go the opposite way that you would normally do it. And I couldn't do it. It was super hard. I made myself do it all day, every day, until it just became easy. It was a simple thing of like, man, this is 
I'm just going to do it until it becomes so easy that it's not hard anymore. And that really paid off for me in the long run. It's kind of like if you can get past that boredom of like, wow, I'm not good at this. This is hard. I mean, I don't know if anybody's broken a hand before, but you'd be amazed how quickly you can learn how to use chopsticks with that other hand. I mean, it's it, by really just forcing yourself to do something that you're not good at until you're really good at it. I mean, that simple lesson, um, you know, the simple thing of, you know, learning what not to do. People want to know how I learn tricks. I'm like, man, I try them and I try them and I try them until it becomes something that's so easy for me. When the world's watching, I can do it. You know, it's the simple, simple things I take. And then, uh, I guess just keeping your eyes open for, for what's next. I mean, a guitar fell into my lap and I was just, uh, you know, I was, I was just aware enough to be like, wow, I should try to play this. I should try to become you know, great at this. I, I pick all sorts of fun hobbies for myself and, and definitely set goals because set a fun one though too. So can't be all serious all the time. Yeah, you wear yourself out all the time <laughs> where you get the big stuff done. Yeah. Sean, where can people find you on social yeah. and so on to, to find out more about what you're up to? And, and you can also mention where people yeah. can get the tickets for the event. Yeah, um, you can go to AaronStyle.com and you can get tickets for the event. If you can't uh, make it to the event, it's going to be streaming live on Go90. It's Verizon's new app, uh, which is really cool. You can download it. And then you can not only check out the event coming up, but the past events to see what the riders are doing and where their rankings are at. Um, I'm Sean White on Instagram. Yes. Check it out. Spelling for everybody. Uh, S-H-A-U-N-W-H-I-T-E. I have a same on Facebook and... Uh, I'm Sean White Snap. If you want to get down with the Snapchat, <laughs> um, what else? Yeah, check it out. I mean, it's it's an amazing event, and I'm really proud of it. And it's something that you know really speaks to me, the sport, and and, and what I'm all about. So yeah, I hope you enjoy. Awesome. Well, Sean White, everybody, yeah. thank you so much for the time. Really fun. Thank you. Yeah.